now we turn to our final reading from Galatians 5. Verse 25 will be our text of Galatians 5, and we'll read to 6, verse 10. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident." Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And the words of our text, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then uh, verse 25 again, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Those are the words of our text for today. Beloved in the Lord, earlier in Galatians, Galatians 4, we're told that Christ has delivered us from the elementary principles of this world. What that means is the old social order that God set up in Exodus, the temple, the law, 
That, those were the principles of social life in Israel. That social order is gone. And we have died to that order in the cross of Christ. Now we live by the Holy Spirit of God, for Christ has poured out his Spirit upon his church. We read about that in Acts 2. Each individual that stood before God on that day received the Spirit of Christ. Each individual that is a member of the church continues to receive the sign of the Spirit through holy baptism. What changed in Jesus Christ? God has taken us from under the law and has enlivened us by the Spirit so that we might walk in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul commands us to keep in step with the Spirit. And he uses a different word than he normally uses for walking in the Spirit. This word has military connotations, almost as if he is saying, keep ranks with the Spirit. The image we might have is of an army doing military exercises in a courtyard. He might even be punning off the earlier word for elements, as in the elements of this world. Just so you know, the word for elements is stoicheia, and the word for keep in step is stoikomen. Whereas formerly the children of God were regulated by the law, which is part of those elements of the world, now they're regulated by the Spirit of God. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, keep in step with the Spirit. And first we're going to see an ordered heart. Second, we're going to see an ordered people. The Spirit is the one who brings life. He is the one who hovers over the earth in Genesis 1, bringing the word of God into existence. He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead and communicates that resurrection life to us as well, so that through faith, we have the life of God. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. We see the work of the Spirit all through the Old Testament. But let's focus on a couple instances that help us understand how the work of the Spirit develops in the history of Israel and later in the church. In the Old Testament, they were still under the law. They were not under the Spirit as we are. We saw in 1 Samuel 16 how the Spirit indwells David or rushes upon David from that moment on. He is to be a minister of God's life among the people of Israel. This is suggestive. Salvation in the Old Testament is often connected to geographical locations or, or certain people. Those who desire the life of the God of Israel must connect themselves to an Abraham or a Moses or a David or the tabernacle or temple. A spiritual person or place. These are the places or persons where God has chosen to manifest his life. The work of the Spirit widens after the return from exile. God promised to write the law in the hearts of his people in Jeremiah 31, and we see the fulfillment of that in Zechariah 4, 
where two channels of oil from two olive trees are pictures of the provision of the Spirit to the people of God. God has widened the channel of His Spirit in order to prepare for the coming of Christ. This allows Jews to start to live all over the known world, but still know that God is for them. But God's work in providing life is still connected to a physical place, to an earthly place, Jerusalem. And through it all, even those times where this work of the Spirit is most evident in the Old Testament, those filled by the Spirit were still under the law. David was under the law for his entire life. He did not yet taste the freedom of Christ, even though he tasted something of that through the Holy Spirit. Even Christ, during his life, before his death and resurrection, was under the law. He chose to be under the law so that he might bring us to the maturity of the Spirit, so that we could leave the sinful flesh behind and enjoy the gifts that he won on the cross. A maturity that goes beyond being under the law. Freedom from the law must wait until Christ dies and the requirements of the law die with him. Once that dies, the spirit can be released with a power that has not yet happened in the history of Israel. Christ, who has received the spirit and through the spirit has accomplished the fulfillment of the law, now shares the spirit with those he has won salvation for. So that each Christian each Christian has full access to the Spirit of God. Again, in the Old Testament, that Spirit was accessed through a Moses or through a David. Even in the post-exilic covenant, the Spirit was accessed through, through the men the two olive trees symbolized. Now in Christ, there's full access to the Spirit of God for any person who believes and looks to Christ. The Spirit is now something that belongs to each individual in the body of Christ. This is accomplished through the water and the word by the blood of Christ. As many as have been baptized have put on Christ, says Paul, and those who have put on Christ have the Spirit of Christ. And in the Spirit he may die to the flesh, and through faith become alive to God. Paul now says in Galatians 5.25, if you're alive by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit has, become, has come upon the church powerfully, and he continues to work. Baptisms are little Pentecosts. This doesn't mean every baptized person is saved, but it means that the promise of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit are given in baptism to all who respond in faith. The gathering of believers is where the life of the Spirit becomes manifest. If it is true that you have left the world of the law, the world of the flesh, and live by the Spirit, then you will pattern your life after the Spirit. And the Spirit points you to Scripture so that you will seek to live 
by that good word. The Spirit, first of all, orders the heart of the individual. We read about that in the Canons of Dort. He enlightens the mind, softens the heart, and instills new qualities into the will. Augustine spoke of this as reordering our loves. Our hearts are being reordered so that we love God first and love our neighbors as ourselves. Our hearts are reordered so that we give appropriate thanksgiving to God our Creator and our Father in Christ. Many people will put themselves first, then their family, then God. Others will put some individual or some other thing first. People will lose themselves in in serving some ideal of family or happiness or success. And all these things come from disordered desire, disordered love. This creates a distorted attitude toward ourselves, toward God and the world. We're broken and we move further and further into brokenness. This is the life of the flesh. We can think of the list of the deeds of the flesh that are in Galatians 5. Paul begins with sexual sins. We demonstrate our hatred of God by using the body he has given us in perversities. These are things that we naturally want to do, but we're called to walk in the Spirit so that we will militate against these false desires. Paul adds sins such as idolatry and sorcery. We don't necessarily do this by serving some image or worshiping a false god, but by setting our hearts on the things of this world. Then Paul goes through a number of social sins. Enmity, fits of anger, dissensions and divisions, to name some of these sins. We serve ourselves when we grow angry or envious of one another, or we divide over trivialities. And finally, Paul returns to sins of the belly, drunkenness, and orgies. We indulge our flesh in these things and leave behind the righteousness of God. All of these lead to death. We're called to put them to death, to die to our desires. And if we're honest, we, we recognize our false desires in this list. We know that if, if we don't seek to keep ranks with the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit, we'll wander to death. So if you claim to live by the Spirit, crucify crucify, put to death those passions and desires so that you do not participate in these things. Again, we all see ourselves here. Some of us have wicked sexual lusts. Some of us have to work with anger issues. Some of us are always comparing ourselves to others and need to watch out for the root of envy. And some of us will grow angry when someone steps on our toes and anger That's rooted in pride. The Spirit is against those things, working in us so that these things are crucified on the cross of Christ. Instead, the Spirit orders us so that we keep in step, 
so that we begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, so that we're free to do the good which is beyond the law. This is the point of the freedom that Paul talks about earlier in the chapter. We're freed from death. We're freed from the hatred of God and our neighbor so that our hearts are ordered toward God and God's desires. We're freed so that we may love one another. That we may have joy in the salvation that God has given us. So that we may have peace with God and our neighbor. We're free not only for ourselves to have that, but to seek that with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. The fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful picture of the joy and communion we may have with God and one another. The words keep in step with the Spirit suggest that even though these works come naturally through the work of the Spirit in our hearts, this is only accomplished through self-discipline. That putting away of the old self, putting on the new man. We need the discipline of love, joy, peace, and so on. The old man is still at work. Later, Paul says that when you seek to, that even when you seek to correct the one who transgresses, watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. That means we need to discipline ourselves so that we regularly, we are regularly looking to God's word and spirit for guidance in our lives. And this discipline is manifested especially in the last fruit of the spirit, self-control. When we partake of or pursue the good things that God has given, whether it be sex or wine or food or music, we're called to exercise the self-control that God is working in us through the Spirit. Discipline ourselves out of love for our neighbor. Discipline ourselves when we react to criticism or unkind words or rudeness. We need to discipline ourselves so that we respond with integrity and without dissension or bouts of rage. Perhaps in these things, we even put up fences for ourselves so that we do not fall into sin. And these too are the work of the Spirit. Everyone must be careful to guard against the flesh. The war, that war between the flesh and the Spirit is in us all. If anyone says he is beyond that war, he's claiming that he does not sin. And according to 1 John, such a person is a liar and the truth is not in him. You see, in Christ, we don't need to feed on the lust of the flesh anymore. Rather, we feed on Christ, united with him in one spirit and one baptism. Of course, walking in step with the Spirit is not merely a matter of the heart. The Spirit orders the heart of the Christian so that he or she becomes a valued member of the body. The Spirit is the joints and marrow that joins the body of Christ together so that we, as a church, as a people, manifest the order of the Spirit. 
You can think of, of Israel. If you read the first 10 chapters of Numbers, you see God ordering the people of Israel in ranks around the tabernacle. And the church, too, reflects that type of order. We move from the culture of death that's insinuated in the list of the works of the flesh, a culture where people are employed in self-destruction and the destruction of others, to a culture of life, a culture where we're willing to bear one another's burdens, where we care enough about one another so that we pursue those who are walking toward the path of death. And that brings us to our second point, an ordered people. In Galatians 6, Paul almost gives a brief church order. He says, those who are spiritual among you, meaning those who have matured in the life of the Spirit, as we have said, we all have equal access to the Spirit So it's not as if the spiritual among us have more access to the Spirit. Rather, they have matured in that life. Those who are spiritual among you are supposed to seek after the weak. This is a command to the congregation of God. The work of the Spirit, the work that the Spirit creates in ordering hearts, creates a spontaneous order where the strong care for and pursue the weak. From our perspective, it's spontaneous. It's not truly spontaneous because ultimately it's the work of the Spirit. This goes back to Jesus' words about the order of the church. The one who is the servant of all will be first in the kingdom of heaven. We are a people who bear one another's burdens, the strong care for the weak. Contrast this to those who wanted to burden those who were released from the law with the regulations of the law and more human precepts that they had added to the law. They wanted to burden the people of God with, with circumcision and, and, the pure, and all the purity laws that came with it, laws that had been left behind in Jesus Christ. Through the rest of Galatians 6, Paul continues to give instruction on what the community of Christ looks like. It's a community that shares what they have learned about the word of Christ with one another. It's a community of perseverance that does not grow weary of doing good to one another. And in all these ways, they continue to show the fruit of the Spirit. There's an image in Proverbs 30, that sums up the picture that Paul is giving very nicely. In Proverbs 30, Agur gives examples of a number of things on this earth that are small but exceedingly wise. And the fourth is the locust. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. Christians, yes, we have a king, but he's not here. He's not visible We're guided by this king through the power of the Holy Spirit so that by appearance, we're we're like these locusts. You don't see a king, but we march in rank. We march by the drum of the Holy Spirit. We're in his army. Paul fills out what it means to walk in step with the Spirit in his other letters where he reveals more about the order of Christ's church. 
In Ephesians 4, he tells us that the church is provided with leaders to train her in maturity. Unlike the leaders of the Old Testament, these leaders have no greater measure of the Spirit than any other Christian. We're all Davids now, uniquely endowed with the Spirit. The leaders of the church are not given as, to the church as conduits to spirituality, but as gifts to strengthen the church, to strengthen the church in the word and to bring her to maturity. In the Old Testament, the people of God gathered around leaders who were endowed with the Spirit. Now the Spirit teaches the church to submit to those whom he calls through the church to rule over the church. I'll say that again. Now the Spirit teaches the church to submit to those whom he calls through the church to rule over the church. And so in our structures of community life, each person keeps in time with the Spirit according to his calling. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul teaches that we see true manifestations of the Spirit in our worship when it is done in good order. The Corinthians are struggling with dissensions and divisions to the point where power struggles between various personalities in the Corinthian church become manifest in a Lord's table where the people of God no longer come and eat together as one people. Where their services have dissolved into a clamor of various persons trying to speak over one another. Paul sternly warns them. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing are a command of the Lord. In other words, you will recognize Paul's command of the law of Christ if you are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those commands is, but all things should be done decently and in good order. So we have an order of worship as a church where we freely participate in an order that has been handed down through generations of Christians and is patterned off the way Israel approached God in the Old Testament. On Sunday, we're the army of the Spirit going through our paces, learning to put to death our lusts and come alive to God through the living word that is preached. Again, we see the order of the Spirit in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. In Colossians 3, we hear Christ's call to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. Music is an amazing thing, for it allows us with one voice to tell of the glory and the majesty of God. We have a sign here that the order of the Spirit is not dry or boring, but exuberant. We can think of the commands to shout in the Psalms or to clap your hands. And we can see this from experience. All types of people can inhabit the words of a psalm. And, and so we exhort one another and encourage one another in the faith when we worship together. In Ephesians, the music of the Spirit is contrasted with drunkenness. There's an improper ecstasy, the ecstasy of the abuse of food and drink. And there's a proper ecstasy, the experience of being filled with the joy of the Spirit in singing to one another. Finally, the order of the Spirit works itself out in the community 
that is beyond, beyond the service, beyond Sunday morning. We see this in what are called the household codes in Colossians and Ephesians. We have the call to live in ordered roles in our households and schools, in our businesses, in our community as a whole. These two reflect a walking in the Spirit or a keeping ranks with the Spirit. Following the flesh does not actually deal with the deeds of the flesh. Ultimately, it results in chaos and death. And law isn't going to fix that either. We can't stop that descent to chaos and death by making more laws. That seems to be the way our society tries to deal with it today. We carefully regulate harmful substances and we pour money into education and healthcare. This is the way we will fix people. The only way to leave behind the flesh is to find the freedom of the Spirit in Christ. And we can be grateful that in that freedom we're released from the law as well so that we are guided into life and the good and peaceful order of the new creation. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing once again from hymn 47. We'll sing the last two verses.